This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to Pinsider Radio. This is MC Money. I'm joined by certain the creepy soccer dad and Rosenhouts. And this week, boys and girls, we have a jam-packed show and all-star lineup for you. We'll be joined by Tony Pauling in just a few minutes. We'll be joined by Arif Hassan. We'll be joined by Daniel Kassin. We'll also be joined by none other than Benjamin Albright. A lot of information to disperse, a lot of information to digest. A lot to cover before the NFL draft on Thursday evening and Friday and Saturday. We will not be doing another show until after the draft, so we're going to give you everything we have tonight and leading up to Thursday night. It's a ton of information, boys. It's a lot going on. While not much has changed, very much has changed. We have Vita Vea in the mix now. Some are now saying Lamar Jackson. Are there any other surprises? We'll find out when we talk to all of our guests today on the show. Let's jump right into it with Tony Pauling. It was very nice of him to join us a few months ago where he was one of the first ones to tell us that the Dolphins have a tremendous interest in Josh Rosen as well as Baker Mayfield and also broke the, uh, not really news, but broke the rumor at that time that the Cleveland Browns were considering taking Josh Allen, although that has cooled down quite a bit over the past few days. It was circulating quite a bit over the past week in terms of, wait a second, the Browns really might do this and select Josh Allen number one overall. 
Anyways, Pauline is back here to join us with the latest information around the NFL draft. Tony can be found on Twitter at Tony Pauline and also draftanalyst.com. Tony, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Thanks for having me. Tony, the draft is on Thursday evening. What are the latest rumors you are hearing? Well, it looks like everyone thought it was Josh Allen was a shoe in to be the first pick of the draft by the Cleveland Browns just a week ago. I, I, as I reported on Sunday, that's not the case. I heard there's a lot of talk in that war room right now. I think it's going to be Sam Darnall. It could be Baker Mayfield. It, it could be a decision that really comes down to, to the very end. Uh, the Browns were getting a lot of feedback from people in the league who just said that, who told that you know, Josh Allen's just not worth the first pick of the draft. So they want to get the quarterback, and they don't want to miss on this selection. You did mention on our show several months ago that Josh Allen was in the mix. Obviously, now that's not the case. When you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, just short of six feet tall, the history of the NFL shows that not many of these quarterbacks have been drafted in the first round. So do we expect to see him to slide, or is he really is his landing point the Jets at the very least? Well, I, I think Josh Allen is still in the mix. I just don't think it's a definite that he's going to be the number one pick. As far as Baker Mayfield, May, Mayfield uh, checked in at the combine in the senior ball over six foot tall. He was six foot one half inch, although I do have my concerns about his physical skills. Uh, everything that I've been told seems to point to if Baker Mayfield gets past the Browns at number one, the Jets will scoop him up with the third pick of the draft. They like the personality. They like the playmaking skill. Uh, there's still a chance it could be Josh Rosen. I, I think if the uh, Browns select Baker Mayfield at number one and Sam Darnold there for the Jets, all bets are off. They'll likely go uh, with Sam Darnold. Uh, but if everything happens the way we expect it to happen, everything points to Baker Mayfield uh, being selected by the Jets with, with that third selection, which I think it would be a mistake over Sam Darnold if he's available and over Josh Rosen. Speaking of Josh Rosen, there's been a lot of links with the Miami Dolphins. You mentioned the interest with the Dolphins as well when you were on our show a few months ago. Talks of them trading up to five or six. What is the latest you're hearing on that? In my recent mock, I have Josh Rosen falling to the uh, Miami Dolphins at uh, 11. I think what's going to happen is Denver, if Denver doesn't trade out, uh, I, I, let's, let's rephrase that. If Quentin Nelson is there, I think that's where Denver goes rather than trading down. Uh, and Bradley Chubb's off the board at number four. Uh, and then the uh, Colts, who love Ro- Roquan Smith, I think take Roquan Smith at six. That's one of, been one of the players they've been targeting all along. I don't think that they can afford to trade down and then miss out on six. So I, I think there's a real possibility that Josh Rosen, the, the, the Dolphins don't have to move up to get Josh Rosen. Uh, he may be there for him. If they trade up, it may only have to be to a team like the uh, San Francisco 49ers at nine uh, if, if uh, Tremaine Edmonds isn't there because that's the player that the uh, Niners want. Tony, thanks for taking some time during the Blitzkrieg right before the draft to come talk some shop with us. My question for you is, and I'm going to ask you to project a player that you think is going to tumble all the way down the first round. So I'm thinking of someone like Miles Jack in the 2015 draft. You could even talk about uh, Reuben Foster and his his drop down to, uh, I believe it was the 31st pick in the first round. So do you are you hearing anybody um, – who maybe is elevated by the talking heads and, and fan bases that are really going to be surprised how far this player falls down the first round. Not really. And here's why, you know, in the weeks before the draft, we knew about miles Jack, miles Jack's injury situation and how it may adversely affect him. 
We knew about what was going on with Reuben Foster the days before the draft and how it may affect him. I've not heard of any of these top-rated players uh, having issues that may force them to take a tumble-down draft board. There's talk about Leighton, uh, Leighton Van Der Esch and his, his neck, but I hear you know, that most teams are not – the teams that are interested in him are not concerned with him, so I don't think he's going to make a big tumble, but he was a mid-first-round pick to begin with. There's now talk about Sonny Michelle. Uh, with knee issues, but Sonny Michelle was a fringe first-round pick to begin, uh, to start off with. So I'm not hearing anything, and there's not anything out there about one of these guys in the top 15 red flags going up, which could mm-hmm. cause a tumble. The way we did uh, leading into the draft that Miles Jack and then Ruben Foster were involved in. Tony, one more question, and I'm going to focus specifically on the Dolphins here. Is there someone that you like day two, day three, uh, someone that's maybe not being talked about a whole lot right now that you think could could come into the Dolphins roster and really compete for a starting gig? Uh, you know, I, I think if, if you're looking at quarterbacks, I like Mike White out of Western Kentucky. Uh, he's a day three pick. I don't know that he's going to come in right away and compete for the starting job over Ryan Tannehill, as would say a uh, Josh Rosen. But I think he's a guy that in a year or two could make, could uh, compete in that uh, in that sort of aspect. Uh, you know, they, they need tight ends desperately. I think a guy like Dalton Schultz in the in the uh, fourth round. Uh, I think a guy like uh, Volat, Andrew Vollard of uh, Weber State in the sixth round. They can come in and they could help out a tight end. As far as starting right away, I mean, it could be a situation where they start by default. Uh, because it's uh, such a needy, needy position for the uh, for the Dolphins, uh, but yeah. I, but I do think that those are two guys who could help them out uh, that they could select in, in day three. Tony, I know you're on a very tight schedule today, so gun to your head, who is the Miami Dolphins pick at number eleven? Right now, I got Josh Rosen. I think that's going to be the player. Uh, you know, it's going to be one of three players. They really want Roquan Smith. I don't think Smith is going to be there, so it's going to come down to either Josh Rosen or maybe Vita Via. I mean, they they got to get another defensive tackle in there to place in Dominican Sue. Uh, I, I think Via is the guy to, that they would consider. And like I said, right now in my first round, I have them taking Josh Rosen with the 11th pick of round one. All right, that's Tony Pauling. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Tony Pauling. Check out his website, draftanalyst.com. Tony, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. And there you have it from Tony Pauling. A lot of inf- interesting information. Not a ton that we haven't totally heard before, but still just some affirmation that Josh Rosen is really the quarterback the Dolphins are looking at. The confirmation and affirmation that Baker Mayfield is likely going to the Jets unless the Browns take him at number one overall, which signs are starting to point to Sam Darnold being that pick there based on a few rumblings around the league. But... If Tony Pauling has Josh Rosen dropping to 11, that is the Miami Dolphins' dream. And like Tony said, I think the Dolphins would then pull the trigger on making that selection. All right, we're going to be joined next by Arif Hassan. Arif can be found on Twitter at Arif Hassan. Writes for a multitude of websites, mainly covers the Vikings throughout the year. A lot of funny content on his Twitter page. Make sure you do check him out. Give him a follow if you'd like Arif, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Yeah, no problem. All right, Arif, let's get straight to it. You recently released your uh, consensus board 
And you also released a, an article that analyzed the consensus boards over the past few years. You went back a few years, you regraded the draft, you looked at the people and, and the organizations that have had the best predictor of results and the worst predictor of results. And for me, that stuff is fascinating because we all see in the moment analysts and Twitter GMs and everyone else putting out their predictions and their big boards, but there's not a whole lot of accountability for that. And you are bringing that out here. So Arif, take us now through your analysis and how you put together your draft board in terms of going back a few years, then coming to today and grading those boards. And then also let's talk about your consensus big board for this year, where you've gathered 35 big boards. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I've been doing this since 2014. I take a bunch of big boards. I try to get up to 40 every year. And I think this year I'm now I'm past 35 and back up to 40 again, which is great. Um, but yeah, I try to gather at least 40 big boards every year to, to see kind of what the landscape of the draft is. One of the primary reasons for that was just to create a consensus board to see if, you know, hey, if all of these people, you know, if we got all of their opinions kind of molded into one opinion, uh, which is like fraught with all kinds of problems, but you know, whatever, uh, you know, how would that do? And it turns out it does actually really well. Um, but one of the benefits that I just kind of realized later is that I've got, I've got everybody's big board for a bunch of years. Uh, and I can, I can see, you know, sort of how people have done or, you know, sort of what biases some, some analysts have. Um, so for example, you know, if somebody isn't performing all that well, like, so I did a 2014 review and a 2015 review, if somebody isn't performing all that well, that doesn't mean they're not useful as an analyst. I know, for example, I love Josh Norris's work. I know that he tends to overvalue really good athletes. So if I can just adjust for that a little bit, um, you know, I end up with a pretty good ranking. So it does provide a lot of benefits more than just providing, you know, accountability. You picked a bunch of bad players in the top 10 or whatever. Um, but it does also do that. And it's really nice. The only problem is you have to find a way to rank all the players after a draft. Right. Uh, and so, you know, in 2017, you know, I, I tried to find a way to rank the, the 2014 players and I couldn't do it in a way that felt objective. So I combined, you know, PFF grades, the approximate value metric that you get from pro football reference, uh, and uh, in the Bleach Report Top 1000 to create a semi-objective ranking, or at least a ranking that I had nothing to do with, so I could blame someone else. Uh, and then uh, I, I graded those boards. I essentially gave every every rank the same score that they would have gotten in the Jimmy Johnson board. Um, so rank one got 3,000 points, rank two got 2,600 points or something like that. And then it just subtracted the numbers, essentially. So if you had this guy rank two and he was rank one, there's 400 points of value that you missed out on or something like that. And so I averaged that out and that's when I ended up coming up with, um, with, with the rankings. And it turns out it's just really difficult to beat the NFL draft because they have access to all of the medicals. They have access to all the psychological testing and they get to control the fate of the players. They're going to give, you know, first round picks a lot more play than, you know, third round picks. So uh, it's hard to beat the NFL draft. And I, and I, I respect a lot of analysts for even getting close to it. Um, but the whole project has been a ton of fun for the past four years. It does sound like a lot of work that goes into it, so you are to be commended for that. Speaking of medicals, so Mike Mayock releases his only NFL mock draft the day before the NFL draft. And Mike Mayock, as you just said, um, not even Mike Mayock in general for him, but no one really has access to the medicals. I saw one of your tweets today saying that Mike Mayock has – access to teams who may be giving him information about medicals and Mike Mayock, according to your list is one of the top evaluators in terms of his big boards out there. So how does that all work into everything in terms of, you know, Mike Mayock, his mock draft is coming out tomorrow. Obviously it's a lot of what he's hearing around the NFL. If 
But how much can we read into that tomorrow when it is released and how, you know, let's say the top 10, which is always a lot that goes on in the first round of the draft. Let's say the top 10, top 11 for the Dolphins' sake. How much can we read into that as being accurate? Uh, I think for the top three picks, you can be pretty confident that there's a lot of good information going into it. Mayock has been really good about kind of sorting through uh, sort of what might be smoke, what might not be smoke. After that, I think it's difficult for anybody, unless he has specific information on a team, on a prospect that maybe the teams around them don't have a lot of reason to like. So, for example, if Mike Mayock likes the idea of um, the Cardinals and Lamar Jackson, just a very popular one, uh, then there's a pretty good chance that because there's not a, a ton of other teams that seem to be as in on Lamar Jackson as the Cardinals are, uh, that that information will be, you know, will probably bear fruit or something like that. Uh, for a team picking, you know, 10 or 11, it's really difficult, I think, for anybody, even somebody as plugged in as Mayock seems to be, um, for that, for him to be able to get that pick. But I certainly would pay a lot of attention. I think that, you know, whoever he selects for the Dolphins there, um, you know, I, I think that that's probably the most likely scenario, but you'd always want to take it with a grain of salt, especially because the stuff that's happening above the Dolphins is really just going to determine um, everything that's, you know, available to them and what, what they'll, you know, be able to do with it. So, uh, you know, I pay a lot of attention, and he's really good about figuring out where players will generally get selected. So um, you'll probably get a good idea of who's available. Um, but as for the specific matching, the specific pick to the specific team, um, you know, I wouldn't, like, you know, lose your mind over that or anything. Arif, thanks for spending some time with us tonight. You've looked at a lot of different boards, so I'm really curious in the volatility of certain draft picks. I've looked at Josh Allen. He's projected anywhere from the number one pick all the way to the second round. You look at a guy like Maurice Hurst from Michigan, who's top 15 on some boards and then late day two on some boards. So who are some other players that you're seeing just have a wild range of where they could fall? Uh, yeah, no, there's there's a ton of them. I think this year is just more volatile than most years, and maybe because there's so many, you know, quarterbacks, they tend to be a little bit more volatile. But, I mean, Sam Darnold, for example, is a good one. Now we're pretty confident based off of the information that's coming out that he'll probably go number one to the Browns. But in terms of, you know, where he's been ranked, you know, I've seen people put him, you know, at 48 of all places. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, you, you see players like Sam Darnold go. I mean, Lamar Jackson's a fairly polarizing prospect. But outside of the quarterbacks, uh, Josh Jackson, I think, you know, that's a, that's a pretty polarizing prospect because he is so productive. He's got a bunch of pass deflections, a bunch of interceptions, most targeted, I think, cornerback in, in the Big Ten, if not in the FBS. But also, I mean, his athleticism scores were very, very poor. And people pay more attention to that for a cornerback than they do a lot of other positions. And so you kind of have to balance that. And so different evaluators will look at that information and interpret it differently. Uh, and so he ends up um, with a with a, with a pretty high uh, variance. Rasheem Green is another good example. Um, you know, he's a guy that we don't have a true position for. Is he going to play inside? He played all right inside for USC. Is he going to play outside? Um, you know, he's got the athletic tools for it. So that's that's a guy that you don't know where he's going to be projected. Uh, I think um, who is it? Uh, Brian O'Neill is another example of a uh, of uh, kind of the inverse of Josh Jackson, where you've got a guy who uh, is super athletic and there's people kind of split on his film. Same thing with Colton Miller, um, even more so with Colton Miller. Uh, and then um, and then Jerron Christian from Louisville, if we're picking players outside of the top 100, you know, he's really volatile too. There's people who have him, you know, I, I know there's one board that has him at like 39. There's another board that has him at 251. 
so uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of volatility this year. Most of it's with quarterbacks, but a lot of times you'll see it with small school guys. A lot of times you'll see it with guys that are either really good or really bad athletes. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's I think a more difficult uh, draft this year to predict than than most other years. Like I think um, the last you know two or three years has been relatively easy to predict. Arif, Alts here, big fan of your work. Thanks for joining us. Uh, right before we came on the air, you tweeted out a, a quote from a scout that gave a con- comparison for Josh Allen to Dan Marino. Uh, that sounds crazy to me, and I'm sure most of our listeners agree, but uh, what what do you think that scout saw in, in Josh Allen's film that would even give him that type of comparison to one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? Yeah, it's it's wild to me. I mean, Dan Marino, I mean, if you built a quarterback from a lab, it would be Dan Marino with, like, Michael Vick's legs, right? Like, I have no idea why that would come up. But I would imagine, I mean, if you put a, uh, if you put together, um, like, Josh Allen's just best throws, they look a lot like Marino's throws. Now, obviously, nobody has the release that Dan Marino had, and certainly not Josh Allen. Um, but, you know, when he's on, he's on. And so – you know, people can kind of fall in love with the best versions of a prospect um, and kind of construct their own highlight reels in their head, and you can kind of see that a little bit. Now, I think the the release thing is really important for Marino because he had, like, the lowest stack rate of, like, the past 20 years or something like that. Uh, and so and, – and that contributed to that. And, you know, Allen has a, a pretty good release when he's on, but not not quite Romo or Marino or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um but, you know, if you if you just look at sort of the best versions of Josh Allen and the scout had said in the, in the quote I tweeted out, you know, if you improve Allen's accuracy, which is kind of like a fairly big if, I think, um, but, you know, then you can make the comp. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's sometimes people just kind of fall in love with the best versions of a prospect and the best versions of some prospects or, you know, the you know potentially greatest of all time quarterbacks. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. And. I don't know. That one kind of upset me, so I tweeted it out. It's it's insane. One more question. Uh, all the draft work you do, all the different boards you look at, who are some of your favorite sleepers in this year's class? Who are some guys that maybe are slipping under the radar that you think could really help some teams out there? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of like Josh Norris in that I kind of overvalue athletes. And so, you know, one of the things I also have this huge pro day and combine database that I use and kind of matching them to to the – consensus board this year and so there's a lot of you know small school guys with like really great athletic profiles that I'm just super interested in so like Justin Watson's a receiver from Penn not Penn State but the Ivy League school Penn uh, who's at the senior bowl he looked I thought he looked pretty good at the senior bowl when I was there um, but I mean his athletic uh, testing is through the roof I think he he hit basically uh, top 10 percent and I think every workout uh, and he's a bigger receiver too, so that's uh, that, that's pretty impressive. And he accounted kind of like DJ Moore did, counted for about half of his re- team's receiving yards, uh, which is kind of like it's absurd uh, to to see something like that. So he's a guy I like. Um, another small school guy um, who's not even in the consensus board. He's not in the top 300. Um, is Zach Sealer from Ferris State? Uh, I think a couple of people might remember Justin Zimmer from Ferris State, who also had like this wicked combine and. And pro day, I think Sealer uh, had uh, had like 29 and a half tackles for loss and 19 and a half sacks his sophomore year, uh, and uh, tested even better than um, than than Justin Zimmer did. He's I think a top one percent athlete as a as a tester, and so he's probably going to be an undrafted free agent. But I, I feel like he's got a greater chance to stick on a roster 
than a bunch of other people. Um, if I'm going to pick people that people have heard of, I think Kalen Balaj from Arizona State, so long as he's used correctly, is a guy that got a bunch of buzz kind of earlier in the draft season, but not, but not quite now. Um, I don't think he's a very good runner. I think as a running back, pure running back, he's actually pretty poor. Um, but I think his, uh, his route running and receiving skills are really just phenomenal. And he's a really good pass protector based off of the stuff I saw at the senior bowl, uh, that I think he could be a really good complimentary back, despite the fact that he's like 6'2", 230 pounds. Uh, he's a guy I kind of like in the mid rounds. Everyone's talking about Naheem Hines. I like him, but there's a couple of these mid round backs that I like, and I think he's one of them. So, you know, it's always easier to, to fall in love with kind of the skill guys, but you know, those are the, those are the skill guys that I like a lot. Um, if uh, if the Army guy, Brett Toth, wasn't committed to service for, you know, two years, uh, you know, he'd be a guy I'd kind of want to target in the seventh round. Um, you know, he was predictably pretty awful in pass protection at the senior bowl, but I thought, you know, his fundamentals, uh, especially as a run blocker, of course, were really sound, and he's a guy that I kind of like. Um, yeah, uh, there's a... There's a lot of like interesting sort of prospects. I posted a piece up at zonecoverage.com about the best kind of analytical profiles for prospects, and um, and and a lot of the guys that I've kind of mentioned are there, uh, just because you know they've got sort of the the markings of a of a historically like successful type of prospect. So we're here joined by Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL of zonecoverage.com. Arif, one more question for you before we wrap it up here. Gun to your head Thursday night, the Miami Dolphins are on the clock at 11, or the Denver Broncos or Indianapolis Colts are on the clock at 5 and 6. What are the Miami Dolphins doing? Uh, man, I mean, I don't know anything about, uh, about sort of what their tendencies are. I would take Lamar if I was them. I, wow. <laughs> I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, you, see, well, you, got, you got two quarterbacks that can play receiver, right? No, uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think it, it might be uh, it might be uh, time to to have a plan for after Tannehill. He's he's uh, 30, I think, uh, and he's got uh, yeah, injury problems. Yeah. And uh, while I liked his upside coming out, I don't think he's realized enough of his upside for you to just say we're going to stick with him for a couple more years. So uh, I would I would take Lamar. I think it's not very often you get chances at quarterbacks, and and uh, I would not want to throw away a season just to get a chance at quarterback. All right, Arif, I did lie. I do have one more question for you, actually. It's about your general manager, Rick Spielman. And he had a stint here in Miami. It was with mixed results. He was paired with Dave Wanstead. Uh, Dave Wanstead got a little more power. They stripped Spielman of his personnel control down here. Ended up getting fired, obviously, then went up to Minnesota and has been having some really good results here. Has been having a lot of great finds in the draft. Undrafted free agents, a lot of really good moves in free agency. What do you think it is? Is it Rick Spielman himself, or is it a team that's assembled around him in Minnesota that's really propelling him up there into the top echelon of teams around the NFL? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. Of course, I think great coaching has kind of turned that talent into a cohesive unit. I'm, you know, I've got a ton of respect for Mike Zimmer as a head coach, um, and I think that the team around them is is really, really effective. Um, he's put together a pretty smart analytics department that he – kind of leans on a little bit. Uh, he, uh, he also has uh, George Payton, is the assistant general manager, uh, and Jamal Stevenson, the, uh, the, college, uh, the director of college scouting, are both guys that have gotten um, interviews for GM jobs. And I think Payton almost accepted the San Diego Chargers job before turning it down. Like they uh, pretty coveted in, uh, in the NFL community, and they're very talented uh, as individuals. Um, they've, I think they've both won awards that have been voted on by other executives. So their scouting has been a really big part of the success that they've had. But I think 
Um, the one thing Spielman does, I think, better than maybe anybody else, uh, any other personnel department in the NFL, is manipulate the draft board. He's phenomenal when it comes to trading and figuring out where the players that he likes are going to fall. If he feels like he's got a couple more picks, he'll trade back, and the player he wants will fall to him. If he feels like he has to trade up, I mean, he'll do that. I think he just does a really great job finding a way to get the guys that he wants while also accumulating 10 picks in the draft, which is really hard because the Vikings haven't – they've always signed more free agents than they've let go until about this year, so they've never had compensatory picks. And so for them to always end up with like 10 picks in a draft uh, because of the way that he trades and still end up with the guys that they want, you know, for better or worse, um, you know, he does a fantastic job. So, you know, kind of combining his ability to just accumulate draft capital and his ability to lean on a really talented scouting department and analytics department to really effectively use that draft capital, I think is what really made Minnesota, um, you know, as, as good of a team as it is right now. All right, Arif Hassan, Rick Spielman doing good things in Minnesota, Jeff Ireland doing good things in New Orleans, the life of a Dolphins fan. Arif, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. We love your work. Looking forward to more coming from you. Yeah, thanks. It was fun being on. All right, Arif, take care. And that was Arif Hassan of zonecoverage.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Certainly some very interesting stuff from Arif in terms of how he looks at the draft how he puts his own board together based on all the consensus boards. And yes, even holding many people accountable over the years as they put out their grades. It helps people like myself and others who don't have time to watch the film to really figure out who we should trust the most when it comes to buying draft guides, when it comes to investing our money into different services. And I know I took a real good look at his board this year in terms of ranking those from the past few years. And I will be adjusting my own strategy going forward in terms of what guides I'm buying and who I'm really paying attention to throughout the draft process. All right, we're going to jump right into our next interview. And we are joined now by Derek Klassen on Twitter at QB Class. That's K-L-A-S-S. Does work on the film room at Football Outsiders. QB takes for at two QBs and NFL draft work for Optimum Scouting. And if you do check out his Twitter page again, that's at QB Class, you will notice a Dan Marino Avi, which is certainly great news for all Miami Dolphins fans. Derek, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. I figured that uh, Avi would score well with you guys. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, let's get straight to it. ton of talk about quarterbacks in this year's draft. There's something new every single day, whether it's Baker Mayfield now in consideration for number one, which I'm not really buying, by the way. Sam Darnold, we have Josh Allen up there, who's rumored to be going to the Buffalo Bills, Mayfield going to the Jets, Darnold's going to the Browns, and you got Josh Rosen just hanging out there. Some are saying he might go number one overall. Some are saying the Jets have a smokescreen with Mayfield and really want Rosen. Some are saying he might go to Denver. And then a lot of others are saying that he's going to either A, fall to Miami, or B, Miami's going to trade up to get him. So what have you been hearing? And I can't forget about Lamar Jackson either, because many people are saying he's going to go in the top 15. So what are you hearing about the quarterbacks, more specifically around Rosen and Mayfield, and do you think Miami has any real interest in either of them? Uh, I mean, the, the problem with Miami taking a quarterback is that unless they cut Tannehill this year, which I, I don't think is going to happen, I think at this point, if they were going to do that, they already would have. Um, he still has like three years left on his contract, and I just think it's hard to imagine them paying him that money and then also bringing in a first-round rookie contract um, I think that would be really hard for them, but if they're willing to eat the cash, 
that, I mean, if someone falls, like Rosen falls, it might be hard to pass that up, especially since Gase probably wants his own guy in there. But I think a lot of them are going to go high. I think Rosen and Jackson are probably the two that have the biggest likelihood to fall. Um, and I think both would be really good with Gase for different reasons. But like I said, I think it, it might be tricky for uh, Miami to figure out the money with two quarterbacks. Yeah, they just uh, restructured Ryan Tannehill's contract. If they trade him post-June 1st or cut him post-June 1st, they have $7 million in dead money and only $815,000 in cap savings. So in terms of that, it doesn't make a ton of sense, but Mike Tannenbaum is running the show with the contracts in Miami, so who knows what makes sense with him. Let's go switch to Lamar Jackson now. A lot of people like him. A lot of people don't like him. A very polarizing topic in this year's NFL draft. Bruce Arians has been quoted as saying that he'd have – particular interest in Lamar Jackson if he was still the coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Sean Payton might have interest in Lamar Jackson. So what is your take on Lamar Jackson? People have compared him to Michael Vick, obviously, with the running ability, the triple threat, dual threat, whatever it may be. But what is your personal opinion of Lamar Jackson, and do you think he can be a successful NFL quarterback? Yeah, I think Lamar Jackson is, is very good. I think I think one part about quarterback play that we don't really take into account is <clears> – <throat> Uh, how well a guy's progressing career. And I don't think Jackson got enough credit for how well he progressed from his freshman year where he started like half the season um, and then becoming a Heisman winner his second year and then still getting better at like reading the field and stuff and and, uh, cleaning up some of his accuracy in his junior year and his final season. So I think just knowing that he can develop that way is really encouraging, but I think he's actually really good at making the on schedule throws, you know, your, your quick slants, your hitches, stuff like that stuff that just picks up the easy yards. And then I think anybody that watches, you know, two snaps of him can tell, okay, this guy is an elite playmaker. There's not really anybody in this class who can rival what he can do in terms of getting out of the pocket and maybe running for 20 yards or being a a zone read type of player where he can just take the ball and do things by himself. I think he's such a unique threat in that way that it's really hard to pass on him, especially when, in my opinion, I think he does a lot of, uh, just baseline stuff really well. I obviously think you want to clean up some of the accuracy, but I think he just does so many things well that you can kind of uh, you can kind of move past it a little bit. Derek Houts here, big fan of your work. I've been following you for a long time and really have enjoyed watching you grow as a writer. Uh, for me, my question is this. Say the Dolphins don't trade up. Say if the quarterback doesn't fall to them in the first round. What are some of those mid-round guys that you're kind of high on and think could potentially be starters in the NFL? And who are some of them that may fit in Gase's offense? Oh, well, first of all, that's I appreciate that. That's uh, that's really nice of you. But um, I mean, to be honest, I don't really like a lot of these mid-round guys. Uh, I mean, Allen's not really considered a mid-round guy, but he's outside of the top four, and I'm not big on him. I think Rudolph is really the only guy outside of the first round that I kind of had to have interest in. Obviously, his arm is not very good. Um, but I think he did a lot of baseline things well at Oklahoma State. He was really good at keeping the offense on schedule. His third down numbers are really good for me. His under pressure was okay. Um, but I think he just did a lot of things in situational football that you see from good quarterbacks, guys that can make plays when you need to. Um, and I think that was something he was able to do. Granted, he was in a Mike Gundy offense with like three NFL receivers on his offense. Um, so that helps. But do you think he's a guy who – you can probably get like a Matt Schaub type career maybe out of him where he's a backup for a while. You get maybe three, four really good starting years out of him. And then he kind of fizzles out again. So he's probably the guy I have interest that way. 
Other than that, maybe Mike White. I think Mike White is decent. He throws a really nice deep ball. He's kind of like I compared him to like a CUSA version of Jerry Goff. Um, so you're going to kind of get a discounted version of that if that's interesting. But really, that's about it for me. I'm not too big on any of these uh, beyond round one guys. A lot of people in Miami and fans of the Dolphins are kind of mixed on their their feelings towards Ryan Tannehill. I know that I believe you put out a piece where you were pretty high on him and thought he was a decent quarterback. Give me your thoughts on Ryan Tannehill and if you think he will develop into one of those top ten quarterbacks that we all hope he might. Yeah, I, I think I've always been someone that's higher on Tannehill than you know whatever the average or normal is. I think he's he's I think he's always been pretty good. I think Miami's just not always done a very good job of setting him up to succeed. Um, and then obviously he just got hurt pretty bad, which is honestly more than his play on the field, I think is the question mark you have with him moving forward because you see a lot of guys get these type of injuries and they're just not able to come back the same. Like Robert, the, Robert Griffin III wasn't able to recover. Sam Bradford, it happened to him a couple of times, but he still had problems ever really becoming the quarterback he was supposed to become. So I think that's the thing you kind of have to worry about with Tannehill is that he's kind of going down this Bradford path where – he was a quarterback who always had a lot of potential, but it seemed like the team was holding it back. Then injuries came, and he just was never really able to crack through that wall and be the quarterback that maybe at one point he could have been. Derek Sutton here, and thanks for joining us tonight. I have a question just about evaluating the quarterback position in general. You know, as a scout, you're adapting to what your specific team is looking for and how the college and pro game, pro game is evolving over time. What are the specific traits that the scouting community is kind of scrutinizing right now when you're evaluating quarterback play? I would say the most important thing to me, um, and I get a lot of this from my charting, is just looking at situational football. I think that's really important. Um, So like red zone, third and fourth down, under pressure, stuff like that. I think seeing how quarterbacks react to those situations is really important because that's really where you win football games because – Football really comes down to the margins. Um, there's not a lot that really separates. I, I mean, it seems like the Browns and, say, the Patriots are really far apart, but it's really about running in those margins and, and like, third downs and stuff like that where you really separate yourself as a quarterback and as a team. And so seeing a quarterback succeed in those areas I think is really important. Um, and really all the top guys in this class, for the most part, were given those areas, so that's encouraging. Um, other than that, I would say really just – Executing your offense the way it is supposed to be executed is really important. I think Lamar Jackson has always done a really good job at that. Um, He's always pretty almost robotically gotten through his reach and then always been really good at hitting his checkdowns. And I think that's something you want to see out of a a hopeful NFL quarterback is just kind of knowing when a play is dead, getting it to your checkdown, and letting it go. Um, Just stuff like that. I think just being able to execute and show that you can keep an offense on schedule and then make those those plays in really tough situations that can kind of put you over the top and put the team over the top. We're joined by Derek Klassen at QB Class on Twitter. Thank you for all your great insight here. Just a few more questions from me here. You mentioned names like Mike White, uh, who, has, who has been linked to the Miami Dolphins because of Adam Gase's connections over there. And Loetta is another one who says the Patriots have some interest in, in them. And it was actually stated today on the NFL Network that some believe that he may be the best quarterback in this entire class. Do you share that same opinion, or do you think it's you know Sam Darnold at the top or someone else you may have in mind 
and then a huge drop off after that. Uh, for me personally, it's really just those top four guys. Um, I think they're all the top four guys are pretty close. So for me, that's uh, Jackson, Mayfield, Darnold, and Rosen. I think those four, you could kind of make a case almost in any order, just kind of depending on what you want out of your team, how you want to construct your offense. But then after that, I think you're really just looking at a lot of backup types. Um, I don't really see anybody past those four um, that really excites me too much. I think there's a pretty big drop-off. Like for me, it's those top four. Mason Rudolph, as a guy, like I said, could maybe be Matt Schaub at best, the Kirk Cousins type. And then after that, there's just not a lot that gets me excited. All right, Derek, and just one more for you. We had Arif Hassan on before you. We had Tony Pauline on as well. You're our third guest. We're bringing on Ben Albright afterwards. Tony Pauline said the Dolphins are looking to draft Josh Rosen. Arif Hassan said the Dolphins should go after Lamar Jackson. You said financially you don't think the Dolphins can afford it, but you also compared Ryan Tannehill to Sam Bradford in terms of having that potential but can never break through that wall. Gun to your head, the Miami Dolphins are on the clock where they're looking to trade up at five or six. Do they take a quarterback in round one if Josh Rosen is there? If you were the GM, let's not even worry about money right now. If you were the GM, would you take someone in the first round if they're there, or would you wait until round two or three to take a quarterback there? I think, you know, if at that point it sounds like in either scenario you're willing to take a quarterback with a top 75 pick, I think at that point, especially in this class, you might as well just commit and try to to get one of those top four guys that I mentioned, uh, whether that's Rosen, whether that's Jackson, whoever it is that happens to fall and if they really like him, I would much rather take one of those guys than gamble on whatever is in the, in the third round. Cause like I said, I, I really just don't think there's going to be a lot of talent there. I think you really have to get one of these top four guys or you're pretty much just scratching a lottery ticket. All right. I think that's, you know, that's the entire NFL draft. Unfortunately, it's like scratching a lottery ticket. <laughs> lots, lots of variables going around. Um, and very last question for you. I know I said that was the last question, but this was the very last one. Do you see any crazy surprises in the top five picks, top seven picks, any teams coming up, Patriots maybe coming up in the top five, uh, Cardinals coming up in the top five? Do you see any of that like the Bears did with Mitchell Trubisky last year, although they were already up there? Um, it's just all the smokescreen stuff between the two New York teams, just the way they keep talking about, you know, the Jets keep saying, oh, we're really interested in all these QBs, but – New York, the Giants saying, oh, we don't really want to move. We like Barkley. It seems like everything that's happening there, we are not getting the full story. It feels like something else is happening behind the scenes. So I'm really interested to see what happens with those first, like, three picks around where the Giants pick is. I would be really interested to see if Darnold goes one, if they actually have a backup plan and don't want to take Barkley and they maybe do something else and kind of panic. I do agree with you on the Jets. There's a lot, a lot of smoke right there for us to believe. All right, Derek Klassen, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule for us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Take care. You can follow Derek on Twitter at QB Class, Film Room at Football Outsiders, QB Takes for at 2QBs, and NFL Draft for Optimum Scouting. So some really interesting stuff there from Tony Pauline, Arif Hassan, and Derek Klassen about the NFL Draft, about what we can expect in the first round, how they kind of look at the draft, how they analyze it, what we can be looking for in the middle rounds in terms of quarterbacks and other sleepers. If the board doesn't go really the Dolphins way in the first few rounds, 
But how's you know we were texting during the interviews just to communicate back and forth of you know what questions were happening and and who was going next. And you made an interesting point in your text, and you said Klassen, Pauline, and Hassan are all making a great case for the Dolphins to draft a quarterback in round one to eventually replace Ryan Tannehill. Expand on that for us. Yeah, I mean I think we see it on Twitter. We see the different opinions from our fan base. And I think a lot of us, you know, he's our guy. He's, I think, the only quarterback that we drafted in the first round since since Dan Marino. So, I mean, he's a guy that we all have sentimental, like, connection to. And then you see these outsiders, these guys who do this stuff for a living. They're analysts. They, they spend hours upon hours studying the game. And a lot of these guys are saying, you know what, Ryan Tannehill, he's a good quarterback. He showed potential. But at the end of the day, he never lived up to that hype that, you know, a pick of his magnitude might. And now the Dolphins are sitting there at 11. They have a chance to get Lamar Jackson. Up until this year, many might think the best quarterback in this draft. So, I mean, it's crazy to think about. But at the end of the day, I mean, we all we all root for Ryan Tannehill. But to think that the Dolphins could go out there and get a, another franchise quarterback, a guy to sit behind Tannehill and, you know, groom for the future, I mean, that's something that these guys and many of us believe is the right way to go. So if the Dolphins have a chance to get one of those franchise quarterbacks, I think they got to pull the trigger. You know, and it seems like nothing has really changed over the past few weeks. We've been on this show week after week talking about the first round, talking about quarterbacks, talking about people like Derwin James, Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Minka Fitzpatrick. We've talked about guys in the middle rounds like Dallas Goddard, like, like Mike White, the other guys. And nothing has really changed here in terms of Miami because the smoke just keeps on coming. The latest one coming out the past few days is Vita Vey and the Dolphins supposedly in absolutely love with him. And I've been tweeting for several weeks, yes, the Dolphins do like Vita Vea, but he is their backup plan if Roquan, if Josh Rosen, if Baker Mayfield, if Tremaine Edmonds, if Minga, if Derwin James is not on the board when it's time for them to pick. And honest to God, it's really quite possible that none of those guys will be on the board when the Dolphins pick except Vita Vea. So for you, son, looking at all of that, right, so Dolphins are on the clock at 11, everyone that I just listed is gone. Quentin Nelson's there. Vita Vea's there. Leighton Van Der Esch is there. What would you do if you're the Miami Dolphins at that point? Oh, great. You, you stiffed me with, like, the last piece of stale leftover pizza. Um, <laughs> you, you, try, you try to trade down if you can, I guess. I mean, that's – I, I don't I wouldn't see a lot of separation between a lot of those guys at that point. You know, is, is Denzel Ward still on the board or something like that up there? Um if all five quarterbacks are already off there and all of our prime targets from defense are off there except Vita Vea, man, that that would be a cruel twist of the draft, but should we expect anything less being Dolphins fans? I just I, I can't get down. I'll elaborate more as the show progresses, but I just, I, I can't get down with a defensive tackle at 11 uh, as, as good as Vita Vea might be. I just don't think it has the positional um, impact that we'd be looking for that we, we could possibly get at other positions. So man, I, I'd look to trade down. And if you're absolutely stuck there, you go with the, you go with the, the best player on on defense, in my opinion. If that happens to be Vita Vea, you do it, but I, I hope it's not him. So, 
all of that in mind, Avita Vea is definitely not a sexy pick, defensive tackle, right? After they just got rid of Adamic and Sue, after they did a terrible job restructuring his deal several years ago and did nothing with that money, really, except sign Jay Cutler. But even that wasn't really tied to that. Going back now, taking a few steps backwards, going back to our conversations with Tony, with the Reef, with Derek, your general thoughts on all the information they dropped, all the tidbits they dropped, and how you think the Miami Dolphins should move forward accordingly as we approach the draft Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Man, that's a great question because <laughs> there, there's so many different theories, philosophies, uh, different slants and biases on how people look at tape, how they judge the stats, how they um, look at the interviews, the combine, all that kind of stuff factors into how you're evaluating some of these prospects and I talk to you guys just about every day, and we have some pretty outrageous disagreements about some people. I mean, me and me and how, although we both appreciate Tremaine Edmonds, Houts and I are on completely different sides of the ball when it comes to linebackers. So you can imagine when you just multiply that by dozens of other variables, how different differently people can look at this thing. Me personally. Uh, if we're at 11, I, I really do think that there's going to be a high-quality defensive player there for us to draft. There's always that random person that sneaks into the top 10 that you didn't think was going to be there before, and that's going to be to our benefit. I think uh, the quarterback class, as much as it's been heralded by the media and everything, I don't know how much actual attention we're going to uh, give to that in, the round, in round one, and we've already kind of alluded to it. When you have the opportunity to be that high in the draft, you take a quarterback, and I just don't I, – I think we're right outside of that um, cusp of who is going to have access to those quarterbacks. And I think we're right outside there. I think we'd have to trade up there. I don't think we're going to do that. I hope we don't do that because uh, philosophically I am a trade-down kind of guy. I think the best way to navigate the draft is to mitigate the – the losses that inevitably every NFL team experiences during the draft. Uh, look at this as a hedge fund where you're, you are balancing the different investments that you make. So you want to mitigate all losses that you can possibly do. And that's by having more ammunition, throwing more darts at the dartboard. Cause I really do think the draft is a lot of luck and how it turns out. Uh, the positions that you're be, being able to get into with a particular roster that you have at that time, with a particular front office that you have at that time, for all those stars to align to draft a certain player who uh, could potentially affect your organization in a major way, in a positive way, and then someone that can completely flake out and leave you in the dust for a couple of years. So that's why I love the draft. There's just so much writing on this. And we've had months to discuss it. And then once you're in that moment where the clock is ticking down and you're on the clock, man, it's a pretty exhilarating experience. And we'll see how that all shakes out, son, as we head into the draft Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And here to help us sort all that out is none other than Benjamin Albright on Twitter. You can follow him at Albright NFL if you're not already. One of the very best out there in terms of getting the scoop way before anyone else. And then, of course, Several weeks later, when the big fish, as they call him, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, report it, everyone comes back to Ben and says, Ben had it first. Ben, thank you for joining us here, taking time out of your busy schedule here on Finsider Radio. No, not a problem at all. 
All right, Ben, let's get straight to it. NFL draft is on Thursday evening, first round, rounds two and three on Friday, the rest of the draft on Saturday. I just mentioned you have some of the best information out there. What are you hearing right now in terms of the first round? Let's talk first 11 picks in terms with the Miami Dolphins. How do you see that all shaking out? A lot of rumors around Josh Rosen, a lot of rumors lately around Vita Vea. I'm told, you know, Vita Vea is their backup plan and Josh Rosen is really the apple of their eye. Are they going to get Josh Rosen? Uh, well, I don't know if they're going to. They're certainly going to make an effort to do so. Um, you know, they, they've got some competition up there. They've got other teams that have a, uh, more ammunition perhaps to move up. I think the problem with Miami is, is that if they want to move up, all you've got is that pick. You're going to have to move a player. Uh, and Devontae Parker suddenly becomes that trade bait. So, um, you know, you got to you got to find a team that, hey, you, you know, needs a wide receiver and needs a draft pick, figure out a way you can swap and, and do that kind of thing and move up. But, um you know, I, I don't know if they have the ammo. If Rosen slides as far as uh, some people are projecting, it could fall right in their lap. You mentioned trade bait, Devontae Parker. Jawan James was supposedly dangled to the Denver Broncos earlier this offseason. I don't know if that's true or not. You have other guys, possibly some surprises like Kenny Stills. Do you see any other surprises on the Dolphins in terms of them using them to trade up to that number five or six spot, or even this. Kenny Stills was close to signing with the Philadelphia Eagles when he was a free agent. Do you think the Dolphins, if they don't draft a quarterback at 11, would they use Kenny Stills as trade bait to move up to the top of or the bottom of round one with the Eagles to pick somebody there? Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I think they have plans for Stills. I don't think that he's uh, he's one that they'd be willing to let go of. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but based on conversations I've had, I, I just don't think that's the case. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to try to, to do their best to pursue the pursue the Rosen thing. Now, you mentioned Vita Vea. Uh, you know, I'd heard Mike McGlinchey was a possibility there for them as well, another offensive tackle. Oh, wow. So, um, <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's certainly some different options there. Um, you know, to, to do things. And, and taking another offensive tackle might suggest perhaps dangling Joan James again later on, as you suggested. Although, from what I had understood, they were now set on keeping him despite having tried to, uh, uh, you know, finagle something with the, with the Broncos uh, a few months back. Ben Houts here. Thanks for joining us. Big fan of your work. Uh, today we heard Lamar Jackson linked to the Dolphins. Is there any smoke? Is it smoke or is there actual interest with the Dolphins? And say they don't get a quarterback in the first round, who are some of those mid-round guys that they may have interest in? I don't think Lamar Jackson is a guy they're after. Um, I, I think that's somebody floating something because Tannehill's kind of mobile, and so we're floating another mobile quarterback name. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's really the case. Case, um, you know, has a particular skill set that he likes from uh, uh, from quarterbacks, and I don't think that uh, I don't think Lamar's the guy. Um, just, just my two cents. Um, mid-round guys, Mike White. Uh, I know they're big fans of Mike White, um, and I think that they could, you know, possibly develop him. He's a couple-year project. He's going to have some, uh, some issues right away. Certainly not a, a day-one starter. But uh, given the financial recommitment they made to Ryan Tannehill, even drafting a quarterback, you're still stuck with Tannehill for another two years uh, unless you can trade him. So um, I just don't see, uh, I just don't see any way. That, uh, that they make that happen. Ben Sutton here, and thanks again for spending some time with us this, this, this evening. You know, if you don't follow Ben on Twitter, you should, because you missed out on some gold the other day. Could you just enlighten us, Ben, on where you would evaluate Paxton Lynch 
best quarterback draft class. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Paxton, uh, a reclamation project. He's worth a day three pick, uh, but that's about it. And that's just a reclamation project. The Broncos are going to give Paxton another shot to kind of, you know, kind of see if he can put it all together this season. And uh, uh, if he doesn't, then they'll just cut him because they have no financial obligation after that. So, um, you know, I, I don't think seeing that tweet that was out there, and I, I, I heard later it was corrected or he quote-unquote misspoke or something. I don't know. You can never tell with that guy. But um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that the original tweet was one of the wildest things I've ever seen, saying that Paxton was better than any of the six quarterbacks in this class or whatever the phrasing was. I, I can't remember. Yeah, I was just, just going to ask him. He had talked about the depth of the quarterback position. Ben, do you see any other positions, uh, specifically on defense, just because I'm thinking the Dolphins want to uh, put some investments on that side of the ball? What positions on the defensive side of the ball do you see late day two, maybe day three, where you could see some value? Well, uh, there's there's some linebackers in this draft. There's some defensive linemen. Um, you know, I think you could, I think you could find that. You could also find some, uh, especially interior offensive linemen in this draft. Um, you know, the tackle position is very thin. If you're not going to take one of the top three tackles, you probably shouldn't even bother. But uh, the interior um, line is pretty decent. Uh, there's three centers uh, that I really, really like. Uh, Price and Rag now heading that uh, heading that center class. Um, you know, and, and, and plenty of guards. So uh, I know you said the defensive side of the football, but, you know, you could probably get some quality offensive linemen, which uh, Miami still kind of needs to do a little bit. Um, and I would suspect that, you know, if they don't get that linebacker they're looking for, um, that could be the direction they go. All right. We're joined here by Ben Albright at Albright NFL. Ben, just a few more questions for you here on Finsider Radio. You made it no secret that Baker Mayfield is your QB1, and you think that he will have the most successful career out of anyone in this year's draft. The the smoke there with the Jets, is that all real? Should we brace ourselves for Baker Mayfield and the AFC East for the next decade to come? I would say that'd be a pretty safe bet. Um, if you're going to lay that money sucks. on it, that'd be the one to lay money on. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. the, the question really isn't, uh, you know, are they going to take him? The question is more how are they going to protect him once they do. So, um, you know, I, I think he could be a wildly successful quarterback. I, that's the one team I'm concerned about him having success with. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, mm, you have to design yeah. a scheme, at least initially, that's uh, chock full of short routes, uh, stuff to get the ball out quick. Uh, otherwise, he's going to be in big trouble, uh, especially if you're trying to develop seven-step drops stuff like that. He's just not cut out for that, and um, especially behind that offensive line that they have. All right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, it, it would suck to see Mayfield in the AFC East as someone I love, and a lot of us love, how, you know, House loves him. But we'll see how it shakes out. Last question, Ben, for you, gun to your head. Miami Dolphins are on the clock on Thursday night. Who are they taking? Gun to my head. Um... Mike McGlinchey, I think you need to shore up the tackle oh, position. God, make sure no. you're, I know everybody probably hates it, but I, I think you need to finalize the tackle position and and, uh, and and get that line set before you really commit to another quarterback. Tannehill, um, you're financially committed to him for another two years anyway, so I know everybody wants the quarterback, but um, you know you, you're still committed to Tannehill either way. So maybe uh, maybe you look for a mid-round developmental guy like we mentioned Mike White earlier. Um, and you go with the you go with the offensive tackle and, and go that route. I, I think that they would like um, 
you know, one of the premier defensive players if they're there too, you know, Roquan Smith or Denzel Ward or Minka Fitzpatrick happen to fall in their lap, uh, they would snap them up. But uh, gun to my head right now, that's, that's kind of the way I see it shaking out. Mike, just laughing here. That would be that would be a good pick for the Dolphins, but it would be so Dolphins as as they say. Mike McGlinchey has not been really in the mix in terms of what people are mentioning. But uh, wow, if you're saying it's true, then I'm gonna believe you because you are always spot on with information. We'll have to see how that all shakes out there on Thursday night. Well, there's there's certainly right, interest ben. there. I don't yeah. know that uh, I don't know that it's 100, percent but there's interest there. All right, Ben, thank you for joining us around Finsider Radio. We greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule with us. Oh, not a problem at all, guys. Take care. All right, take care. All right, and there you have it. <laughs> I'm kind of speechless right now. Mike McGlinchey, what? <laughs> what? Woo! You literally asked me who I Wow. Did. I, I, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I'm sick. If, if I watch his draft and Mike, if he's the, um, I, I don't know. What to say. <laughs> you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. I'm not allowed. Okay, to so are we, are we going, are we going to record ourselves live draft reactions to, to the pick? We got to do that. I'm just Dude. still sitting here, uh, speechless. <laughs> If you're telling me I, that did way, not expect, I did not expect Ben to say Mike McGlinchey. I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a legit jinx. You asked me who the my least <laughs> I I'm speechless, dude. Yeah, can that's unbelievable. Can we can we have Vita Vey back? Is he is he an option? <laughs> Seriously. Wow. I, I feel like if that's the pick on Thursday night, I think Dolphins Twitter is just going to go either absolutely silent because nobody's going to know what to tweet. Or no, be game over. It's gonna it's gonna be the uh, greatest twenty four hours. Or Twitter's or Twitter is going to crash. Twi- Twitter will be on it. It'll I mean, be on it. I just tweeted out, and if if you're listening now on, on Wednesday or Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, or whatever, um, you know we're recording this right now Tuesday night, and I just tweeted out that Albright just dropped a bomb, and Albright may not see it as a bomb. I don't know. I think we all see it as a bomb just because Mike McGlinchey is, uh, has not been mentioned at all for the Miami Dolphins and would not be a, a need for the Miami Dolphins at all. And what could he play guard and, uh, does not matter? Would that, uh, would that involve moving Laramie Tunsil back inside? Like, uh, yeah, that would be a, a head scratcher at the very least. I think this just changed our entire course of our show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and and the worst part is it's Albright. Like, he's the, the cream of the Fuck, crop. Why, he was, why is he the one that had to say that? So, uh, I mean, you know, we were just talking about, right, we were just talking about the whole recap and how everyone's making this case for a quarterback in round one, and then Albright comes on and drops a bum bum about McGlinchey. Holy speechless, boy. speechless, speechless. All right, should just should, should right. send the show there. <laughs> Seriously, um. all right. Before we get to before we wrap up the show, we do have some questions on Twitter. I don't I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, uh, but we're gonna have to. Okay, let me let me pull up the, uh, questions here. We got some from Rob Caruth. 
D asks, which pick made on Thursday would have set you the most and why? Mike McGlinchey. Rob Carruth asks, what <laughs> position would you feel better about trading up for, a quarterback or a linebacker? Uh, Rob, I would feel much better if the Dolphins traded up for a quarterback. Um, I do like Roquan Smith. I do think he is undersized, so he is the exception, not the norm. I think Tremaine Edmonds is best suited in a 3-4, which the Dolphins do not currently play in. I think Tremaine Edmonds is very raw, very young. I don't know how successful he's going to be right away and how much of an impact he's going to make right away. If you're trading up and you're giving up future assets, you better be doing it for a quarterback who is going to make a huge difference in your organization for years to come. All right, let's look at some others here. Esteban Saberos hasn't asked for a while. This one's going to go to you, Sutton. Been a while, guys, but here it goes. What type of role? Actually, we're going to go with the house because House loves Raekwon. What type of role can we see from Raekwon McMillan coming off his ACL? Can we pencil him as a starter at middle linebacker, or to be better suited outside? That's a good question. We miss you, Esteban. For me, I think he's kind of penciled in there at middle linebacker. I mean, if you get a guy like Van Der Esch that the Dolphins seem to have interest in, he's obviously better suited for middle linebacker. I think Roquan Smith will play weak side. I think Tremaine Edmonds could play outside or inside. But for me, I think last season was telling. You saw Kiko Alonso had one of his better seasons at middle linebacker. And then the Dolphins drafted Raekwon McMillan, and they saw his skill set was best suited for middle. Uh, he came right in. They gave him the keys to the middle of that defense, and I think he's kind of their future there. So I think Raekwon McMillan, injury or not, I think he's going to come back. He's going to be one of the better contributors on this defense. Big fan of him. I think he has the potential to be one of the better linebackers in the league, and I'm excited to see him, and I do think he will play middle linebacker next season for the Dolphins. All right. Uh, Aired Laundry Miami edition at Aired Laundry Miami asks, and this is for you, Sutton, at what point is Ryan Tannehill actually required to earn his roster spot like the other 52 members of the active roster? (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's supposed to be a legitimate or sarcastic question. Um, I'm going to take it as a sarcastic question and say, uh, uh, yeah, he's going to have to earn his roster spot, but I, I think we'll be investing a few uh, Benjis on that whole transaction. So I think we're we're all okay um, with Ryan, Ryan Tannehill having a roster spot. Now, whether or not he's starting or not, that's a whole different question, but he's going to be on the roster, so we can go ahead and move on. All right, and Ron Step, I'm going to take this one myself. He asks, is it better to trade down and get an extra draft pick or two, or is it better to stay at 11 and draft a true impact player this year? Ron, I think it all depends on how the board is shaking out. I don't think you can make that call right now. I don't think any team is making that call right now. It's all based on who they have value there, who's on their big board at the time, and how much value they have left right after that. So that's all going to be a game-time decision, as they say, when the Dolphins are on the clock and as they get closer to being on the clock in terms of what they have left on their board and what they feel they can get if they trade down just a bit. All right, Will says, gut feeling picks for Finns at 11 from all of us. Gut pick? Well, my gut pick was going to be someone else other than Mike McGlinchey, but Ben ruined that for all of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have horrible nightmares tonight. Horrible nightmares yeah. about tackles from Un- Notre Dame Un- tonight. It's going to be unreal. Yeah. Gut feeling. Uh, Okay, so before we went on the air for this podcast to record, my gut feeling was Josh Rosen if he's there at 11. I do think that's the pick. Um, I'm not sure whether it's Minka or Derwin, who the Dolphins like better. I don't think Tremaine and Roquan are going to be there. So it's either Josh Rosen or Derwin James for me. How about you, son? Mm -hmm. 
my pick at 11, my hopeful pick is that Tremaine Edmonds is there. I think he's the uh, player that's going to help us the most long-term on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I agree with you, though. I think he'll be gone by then. Uh, so I think – I'm hoping Minka will last that long. From what I've seen, it's possible he does slip out of the top ten. So I, I, I think Minka Fitzpatrick would be my more realistic of available player at 11, so I'm going to go with him. All right. How, how about you? Yeah, can we can we just say how awful Mike McClinch would be? I think we talked about it before. <laughs> we said best, worst case, and I said McClinchy, and then – one of the best in the business comes on and just drops that bombshell. For me, uh, listen, listen, <laughs> I'm sick. When when we when we drop this podcast on Wednesday morning and I tweet out about it, and we tweet out about it, and I will eventually tweet that Albright said it's McGlinchey. Dolphins Twitter is going to be a damn mess <laughs> until Thursday night. It is going to be okay. glorious to watch Dolphins Twitter burn to the floor. So you're getting you're getting excited. All right. For, for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on what Sunset. I think Minka Fitzpatrick's the best defensive player for this team in this draft. I think he'd be a huge upgrade in that secondary. He can do so many different things. Uh, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Lamar Jackson. I know he's been touched on a little bit today. Um, Miami has interest in him. I think what he can do as a playmaker. He touched said it earlier, Mike Vick. I mean. Lamar Jackson needs to sit a few years, and I think that's the perfect scenario for him. He comes in, Adam Gase kind of starts to turn that offense into Lamar Jackson's offense, and in two years he's the guy, and he's doing crazy things in the NFL. So Minka Fitzpatrick would be a hell of a snag. He's kind of the guy that's up there for me as a realistic option and one that would make me, you know, Willy Wonka heel click, run around the house screaming and hollering. But Lamar Jackson, I mean, uh, how exciting would it be to watch him play football for the Miami Dolphins? Uh, not Mike McGlinchey. That that's I'm I I can't. It's Mike McGlinchey. Not that he's a bad player, but please, God no. Best pick, best pick. Who's it gonna be for you guys? Best pick round one for me. I'm still deciding between whether it's Josh Rosen uh, or Derwin James. For me, would be the best pick. Uh, it's it's tough. It's tough because you can get. I'm not sold on Josh Rosen. So my best pick is going to be Derwin James. I don't like Josh Rosen's injury history. I don't like his shoulder surgery. I don't like his concussions. I like the chip on his shoulder for sure. But I think Adam Gase is good enough to get someone around two or three that he can develop. Uh, So best pick for me is Derwin James at number 11. How about you, Sutton? Best pick for me is Tremaine Edmonds. I think he's the best defensive player this year. All right. How about you, Houts? Best pick, Minka Fitzpatrick. All right, there you have it. We will find out soon enough who the Dolphins' first-round pick, who the Dolphins' second- and third-round pick, and who the Dolphins' fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh-round pick is going to be. The NFL Draft is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We won't have another show until after the conclusion of the NFL Draft. Please tune to Twitter. You can follow me at Kanata NFL, C-A-N-N-A-T-A NFL. You can follow Sutton at Sutton Laces Out, and you can follow Houts at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z. If you live in the Connecticut area, I am holding a Dolphins draft party on Thursday night at 7 p.m. until about 11.30 p.m. at Sliders in Wallingford, Connecticut. No entry fee. You come in, order off the menu, whatever you'd like to have. Please DM me so I can get a head count. If I don't get enough people, I do have to cancel the party because the minimum number of people is required. So if you live in the Connecticut area, please reach out to me if you want to join us and get drunk. 
by pick number three, and then even more drunk when the Dolphins pick Mike McGlinchey at number 11. <laughs> so that's going to do it for us this week on Finsider Radio. We thank all of our guests for coming on to our show. We had a hell of a lineup. I'm going to pat all of us on the back. How you did a lot of great work in securing some guests. You did a lot of great work in cheering us on getting those guests, and I did a lot of great work getting some guests on as well. So as long as we're all cheerleaders for each other and all stay in our own lanes, how Sutton, you guys have deemed yourselves worthy of being a co-host here on Finstead Radio. I am hereby extending your contract for another year. Congratulations. Thanks, Thank man. You. I'm really super honored. Your pay is still zero dollars. Don't get excited. <laughs> Mike McGlinchey. Okay. That's Mike McGlinchey, that's all we have to say. If the Dolphins <laughs> do, in fact, take Mike McGlinchey, you heard it here first on Finsider Radio. And that's going to be it for the, this week on Finsider Radio for Sutton, the creepy soccer dad, and Rosen Houts. See if that, that nickname sticks around after Thursday night. I am MC Money. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We're in the air. We're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins number one. We're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Thank you. 
Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. 